This is recording number 10911 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 13, 2011. This is the 34th message in the series titled, The Doctor's Gospel, by Randy Bolt. This message is titled, Overcoming Temptation. Anybody, how, how many, buddy? How many of you uh, are ever uh, tempted to do something that you know isn't either healthy for you, right for you, or godly, or all, all of the above? And we are all susceptible to temptation. And um, we're going to explore a little bit about this subject today. And I am so grateful to God that He has given us. This example of our Savior in the book of Luke chapter 4 about how he dealt with temptation. I don't think a lot of us think about Jesus being tempted or that those temptations were legitimate. But they were. In fact, the Bible tells us that we don't have a high priest who cannot uh, relate to us. But he was tempted in every way just like us. Remember that Jesus was fully God, absolutely fully God, but he was also fully man, fully human. And the same potential for uh, sin resided with him. That's what made him the, the only person who could pay the penalty for our sin because he stared down every temptation you and I have ever or will ever face without sin and then took our penalty. He took our punishment as God. Uh, But we get a little glimpse uh, this week as we open to this passage in Luke of how he dealt with temptation. So I'm going to just kind of do a little Bible study with you as we walk our way through these verses and then hone in on a few things and then we'll will be done. But we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke. We're calling it uh, the Doctor's Gospel because Luke was a physician and writing from that kind of methodical, uh, intellectual, scientific, uh, careful approach that uh, a physician would bring to such a task. And we are... Uh, kind of looking at the gospel through Luke's eyes and believing uh, that he is trying to show us how to listen to the heart of Jesus. What's the first thing that a, that a physician does when you go in for your, for your checkup? He gets out his stethoscope, right? And he starts looking, listening to your heart because that's the most important organ in your body. So Luke is helping us to see the heart of, of Jesus. Verse 1, chapter 4. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. It says here that Jesus was filled with or covered over by the Holy Spirit and that he's returning from the Jordan. So remember last week, we actually didn't get to this part, but... 
Uh, we were talking about John the Baptist and his ministry of baptism unto repentance. Well, at the close of that passage, Jesus comes and asks to be baptized. And John baptized him in water. Now, Jesus was, had, was sinless and he had nothing to repent of, nothing to turn away from. And yet, he, he demanded that even when, when John resisted uh, the, the other gospel writers uh, tell us about how John said, Wait a minute, I, I, I'm not gonna, I, I, how can I baptize you? You should baptize me. And Jesus said, No, we need to fulfill all righteousness. Even when John resisted Jesus' um, request to be baptized, uh, John went ahead and, and, uh, and, and uh, fulfilled Jesus' request because Jesus wanted to always be where God was doing or be where God was and, and involved in what God was doing he came to fulfill all righteousness this was what God was doing at the time calling people to repentance and so Jesus was there and he underwent that water baptism and coming up out of the waters of baptism the gospel writers tell us Luke tells us that three things happened the heavens were opened um, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and, it, and you could almost, he said you could see it. It looked like a, a dove descending upon him. And then it says that the voice of the Heavenly Father was heard saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus comes away from that experience filled with or covered over, replete is another way, you know, uh, complete, completely saturated in the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? It says that same Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read that. And, and you know, everything about Jesus' life is given for our, as our example. So that we can learn about what it is to live godly in this world. And, and that kind of frightens me a bit. Does that mean that if I am... You know, really pursuing God with my whole heart and the Holy Spirit, making room for the Holy Spirit to fill me and use me. Is he going to drive me into confrontation with the enemy? I have enough problems with that already. I don't need any additional help. But here's the thing. God was setting up this confrontation not because Jesus had anything to fear, but because hell had something to fear. The fullness of the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus and it was as though the Spirit said, let's go take him on. Come on, bring your best shot. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus uh, enters into the wilderness and it says that for 40 days he was tempted of the devil. Now, <clears throat> was this the first time that Jesus had undergone temptation? Likely not. In fact, we'll read later in this, in this passage that the, when the devil breaks off this particular season of temptation, that he's preparing for another one that will come. And, and, and the date and the, and the, the, the um, exact details of that are never given to us. So if that's true, that after this particular season of temptation over, there is more that will come. Certainly before this, there's been periods of temptation too. But right now, we are looking at a very heavy season of temptation that Jesus was dealing with. Forty days being tempted by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. In the middle of verse 2 it tells us. In those days he ate nothing. And afterward when they had ended he was hungry. 
as you might expect. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. It's interesting how sometimes we don't even realize this temptation when it shows up. I don't think I've ever truly been hungry in my whole life, you know. I, thankfully, I live in a country where we have abundance. And I have, you know, not, that, that's not true of everyone that lives in the United States, but it has been for me. But because I've never been on a 40-day fast, I can't even relate to it. I know you all thought that I, I just kind of fast all the time. And it's just so, <laughs> so I'm just revealing the truth. I <clears throat> But this temptation has to do with our understanding of what it means to be godly. If you're the son of God, turn this stone to bread. Here's how the devil poses that temptation to you and me. You're a child of God. Surely God wants you to have all of these blessings on all of this material stuff, all this relational stuff. In other words, godliness equals gain. Paul writing to Timothy in, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, he says, wicked people, wicked people think that godliness equals gain, material gain. If you're the son of God, if I'm a follower of Christ, then I ought to have all this stuff. My marriage ought to work. My kids ought to be well behaved. I ought to have plenty of money in the bank. My job shouldn't be, I shouldn't lose my job, Right? If I'm, if I'm godly, if I'm a child of God, then, then this ought to be over here, this sort of side of my life ought to be just rich, right? But Paul writing to Timothy goes on to say, no, that, that's not the case at all. He says, godliness is itself gain. That's what we're after, godliness. With contentment about this over here, whatever this is. I lose my job? My kids give me trouble? Uh, my wife snores. She doesn't really, but, you know, whatever that is over here, that, that doesn't matter. Godliness is itself gain. That's what this is about. So the devil poses this to us all the time. If you're a child of God, shouldn't this be? God, where are you? How come you let this happen? Why did my, why did my brother get sick? I'm godly. I'm good. How come? Why don't you balance these things out? That's how that temptation is presented to us. If you're a child of God, all this, everything ought to be fine and dandy. But life is not about this world. The Bible says that this life is like a vapor. In terms of eternity, it's really nothing. Except an opportunity to get right with God and to share his gospel with other people. That's what this life is about. It's not about amassing stuff. It's not about having the best marriage, the best family, the best whatever, drive the hottest car, have a Harley in your garage. None of those things matter in terms of eternity. And the devil always is trying to pose that to us. He's always presenting that to us. Jesus says to him, Jesus answered him saying, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. The word kingdoms there is realms, realms of authority. The word world there is, believe it or not, is the word that we, the Greek word 
that we get um, economy from. The realms of the economy. The realms of the economy. And they're talking about the Roman economy. The Roman world at that time was broken up into realms, kingdoms under the overarching economy of Rome. We live in what they call a world economy, right? We hear this all the time. It is a global economy. And this is not just about money, but it's about authority. It's about, you know, glory. It's really about a shortcut. Because the devil is saying, all this authority, verse 6, I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. When he says this has been given, given to me, he's talking about what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve handed over the keys to the kingdom to, to the devil. He said it's been given to me, and I give it to whomever I, I desire. So he's, he's saying... This cross business, Jesus, I can give you a shortcut. You don't have to go there to win this back. I can do it for you. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. Turned his back to him. Get behind me, Satan. Gave him a little backside, a little cold shoulder. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God with him only, and him only you shall serve. Then he, the devil, brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the, te- on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest place of the temple, and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And now the devil is quoting from the Bible, from Psalms, Psalm 91. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It's been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Bible says that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. But not for good. (laughs) He's coming back. You can count on it. Uh, So it says that he departs from him for a time. But then listen to this. It said, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He didn't come away from 40 days of temptation, you know, a whipped puppy. He didn't come away from 40 days of temptation, you know, nursing his wounds. He came away from 40 days of temptation in the power, that word is dunamis, we get the word dynamite from it, it's literally translated force. He came away from 40 days of, trans, uh, of temptation empowered in the force of the Holy Spirit. Dear one, we're going to talk a little bit more about this hopefully before we're done, but temptation is not something to be afraid of. Because in the power of the of of the Holy Spirit, we can stare down temptation. And every time we overcome it, we gain authority. We gain power. We gain force. Sadly, the converse is true. Every time we surrender to temptation, we are giving away some of that authority, some of that force, some of that power. But I want to look at this passage to see what Jesus did 
in the face of temptation for what we might learn from that. And I think that there's something here that we aren't often, uh, that we don't often see. Because the way this has always been presented to me growing up in, in the church and listening to preachers like me is that Jesus' responses were reactionary. He was reacting to temptation. You know, he's, he's hungry. The devil says, oh, I'll turn this stone into bread. Oh, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Takes him up to the high place and see all these kingdoms, all this authority. I'll give it to you. All you have to do is worship me. No, no, uh, you, you, you worship the Lord only. Like, like the Lord was running scared. Like Jesus was reacting to temptation. But the exact opposite, I believe, is true here. He was proactive, and every response was setting up the next victory, not, re- not in response to the temptation that's been given. Follow me along as I, I take a look at this thing. Forty days he's tempted in the wilderness, and he doesn't eat. Why? He's preparing for battle. He's preparing for that first major assault. He's been tempted, you know, for 40 days, but then comes the major assault. Here, turn this stone into bread. But the reason that that temptation doesn't even matter to him is because he's already figured out, I don't live to satisfy my physical desires. I've already been out here, devil, 40 days without food. I can go another 40 it, had, it just bounced off and the temptation didn't find its mark because he had prepared himself for it. So the first thing that I see here in terms of Jesus overcoming temptation <laughs> is fasting. I put a refrigerator up here on the screen because that's, that's probably my biggest uh, temptation right now is overeating. But whatever it is that you, you, have, uh, you feel tempted in, um, there is, if you, if, if you find yourself uh, struggling against the things of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, Jesus was saying, deny the desires of the flesh. Say no once in a while. So that the desires of the flesh are no longer temptable. So when the devil shows up with the stone and inviting you to turn it into bread, it doesn't even affect you because you've learned that I don't need that. Whatever it is you're offering, I don't need. It's not even a legitimate temptation anymore because I have, I have buffeted my body, as Paul said. I've, I've, I've uh, determined that I will not be ruled by the physical desires. So the devil gives up on that one, and then he tries the shortcut thing. And let me tell you how that works out with you and me. Because we all live as part of this, you know, thing, the global economy, and we're all jockeying for position, right? And I don't mean just in the hierarchy of whatever business you're involved in or whatever. I just mean we're, always, we're all kind of trying to figure out where we fit, you know, and we're trying to get a little head above, you know, the others around us. There will always, the devil will always come at you with a shortcut to that. He'll always tempt you with, well, here, look, uh, this ain't so bad. You just try this. Or just don't be so 
technical about this belief stuff. I remember very clearly that when I was, I probably told you this before one time when I was working for, at a warehouse facility for Castle and Cook Foods. And, and one of the things we did is we, we transloaded fresh pineapple that was coming in from Hawaii. And uh, they always oversold the fruit because you never knew how much was actually going to show up. Some of it would spoil on the way over and sometimes refrigeration units would go bad. And we'd have a whole trailer or container show up and it's all bad. So they always oversold the fruit. Then you're left with when the guy shows up to get the fruit that doesn't exist because you oversold it, lying to them, Right? I'm here for my fruit. Oh, well, you know, we had this container go bad, and uh, so I'm sorry, you're out of luck. And I remember that exact scenario happening, and a, a salesperson calling me on the phone. I'm at the, the warehouse at the dock. Salesperson calls me on the phone and says, in, a, in about five minutes, this uh, produce dealer is going to show up, and he's going to be asking for, for you to load his truck with his order of, of uh, pineapple. Uh, we don't have it. I want you to tell him, you know, just make up a story. Just tell him I don't have it. Um, trailer went bad, whatever. And I remember thinking, do I do this or not? I mean, I needed the job. But it's really a lie. I could maybe kind of justify it as sort of a white lie because that does sort of happen from time to time. Uh, maybe not this time, but it has happened before. And you know how it goes. You start cutting the corners off of the truth. And that's, there's no lie in the truth. And I, rem, you know, I had that moment of decision. It was a real live temptation. I wish I could say I always come through in those times, but I don't. But on that occasion... I said, look, I'll tell you what, when he gets here, I'll put you on the phone. You lie to him. <laughs> I'm not sure that was the best response either, but it's what I had at the time. We are always being tempted to make compromises. But you see, Jesus was not even susceptible to that temptation because before it came, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I make listening to God and what God has to say about things what matters. So that when the devil came and said to him, uh, Jesus, you know, all you got to do is worship me and I can give all this to you. I'm sorry, no dice. I live by this. I live by this. Let me ask you the question. When, when do you reach the point where you've read the Bible too much? So we all feel this a little bit of guilt when it comes to this thing. We open it up and we go, yeah, I know I should read more of that. And yes, you should. <laughs> That's always the case. But let's not allow the devil to keep us from the benefit of his word because we maybe don't measure up to what we think it ought to be. Let's just get our nose in this book because when the devil comes calling with those temptations to cut the corners... To compromise so that you can gain position or, 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 or uh, put yourself in a better light. It, doesn't, it just bounces off because you decided to live by this. And by what God is saying to you.
And then the, uh, the devil took Jesus up onto the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, throw yourself off of here. And, and, you know, he says, well, if you're the son of God, you can throw yourself off of here. And the Bible says the angels will bear you up so you won't even uh, hurt your foot. And what's going on there? Well, he's, he's saying, you know what, you're, you, if you're the son of God, you know, you could take a little carnal break right now. You can jump off of this high spiritual place. God will forgive you. He'll take care of you. Grace is sufficient, right? Have you ever, to- have you ever in the face of temptation, thought this to yourself? Um, well, God will forgive me. Yeah, you know what? I- I've been doing pretty well. I've been scoring some pretty good points with God lately. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been going to church. You know, I could, I could slide today. God will forgive me. I can get back on his good side tomorrow. There's grace. Angels will bear me up. It won't be devastating. It won't be the end of the world. I won't go to hell. That's a presumptuous mindset. That's presuming on the grace of God. Jesus' response was, you, shouldn't, you, shouldn't, you don't tempt the Lord God. Presume upon his grace. We don't do that to each other. You know what? I, my wife loves me. Over the nearly 37 years that we've been married, I've figured out that she loves me and she loves me a lot. I could probably screw up pretty bad and she'd still love me. Is that an excuse to go screw up pretty bad? No. In fact, it's the exact opposite. I love her so much. I am so overcome with the fact that she cares for me that way. How could I? I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare presume on that love. So Jesus, prior to this temptation of the pinnacle of the temple, says, he says, no, we worship the Lord only. So that when the devil came and showed up and saying, let's, uh, let's presume upon the grace of God. You can, you can jump off this high spiritual place and you'll be all right. It didn't even affect him because he's already decided that worship is the, the, the relationship that he has with the Almighty God, the Heavenly Father, is the most important thing. So when the devil came to tempt him to abuse that relationship, it didn't find its mark. So... Fasting or denying the flesh. The word of God and listening for his voice and becoming, um, prioritizing the word of God in my life and developing a life of worship or a life of relating lovingly to the Heavenly Father and devotedly to him. Those are the things that Jesus showed us uh, overcame temptation in a proactive way, not a reactive way. Now, before we, I let you go, and I am going to let you go here. We left off reading at verse 14. It says that Jesus returned in the power of the dunamis of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth. Verse 16 tells us, he came to his hometown, 
He got, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he was invited to read from the prophet Isaiah the very first words that he read out of the book of Isaiah in that public setting he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he'd stared down temptation, victoriously overcoming it. Don't you want to live your life knowing that the Spirit of God is upon you? Well, the Word of God says that that can be the case. But that means being willing to prepare ourselves for the ongoing assault of temptation and being victorious. Because as I said before, when we resist temptation, not only does the Bible say the devil will flee, but we are gaining authority over our adversary. Every time I say no to the devil, I'm gaining authority over him. I don't want to be doing the opposite of that. One more thing, notice this, that as this passage flows out, verse 31 begins to show us the very first miracle that Jesus performs Uh, at least the one that Luke records for us. We know from the other Gospels that Jesus' first miracle was that he turned water into wine at the wedding feast. But the first miracle that Luke chooses to record for us is the casting out of a devil. He had gained authority over his adversary. And when he was in uh, the in the synagogue in Capernaum and preaching and this demon-possessed guy started trying to shout him down, (laughs) verse 35 this is what Jesus says shut up (laughs) it's translated here in my Bible be quiet the original language is literally translated be muzzled and come out of him the only reason that happens is because of what had happened in the wilderness as he stared down temptation and gained authority over his adversary I want to live that way. I think you do too.